This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. The Holy Gospel according to John chapter 20, John 20, 1 to 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciple, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. She told them that he had said these things to her. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Well, Easter is, as it should be, a day of joy, a day of celebration, a day of worship, perhaps followed by a large family meal, maybe even an Easter egg hunt, if we're lucky. But it's always helpful to remember that that first Easter day didn't start off with sunshine and peeps, contrary to you know, popular belief that seem to sneak their way in. But our story in the text begins... Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. A darkness that was so in part because of the time of day, the sun hadn't risen yet, but also because the disciples were in a state of despair and unknowing. A darkness with some layers. But surely they'll arrive at the end tomb and instantly know what's going on, right? Not so much. Mary Magdalene gets to the tomb and sees uh, that the stone has been removed, so she runs to tell Peter and the other disciple uh, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know what they've, where they've laid him. So the first thing on her mind is not resurrection, but grave robbery. Right? They took the body, we don't know where they have laid him. And that thought is not a stretch in those times by any means. 
And so Mary, the first of the disciples to the tomb, fetches Peter and the other disciple. Maybe they'll be able to sort it out. And they run, becomes a sort of race, and they find out that Mary was right. Apologies to friends who are tuning in online. So, even Mary is slow to catch on to what has happened here. And her discovery happens slowly and in stages. First, she saw that the stone had been moved away from the tomb. And then after the men have left, she remains. And she's weeping. And she looks in the tomb, and now she sees two angels there. And they ask her why she is weeping. She says, they have taken my Lord, and I do not know where they have put him. And so she's still imagining, right, that someone has come and taken the body. And notice she says they. There's a sinister they that has arisen in her mind. We don't know where they have taken him, whoever they are. She still isn't seeing the full picture. But then she sees Jesus. And as the readers or the audience to this scene, we imagine now she'll get it. Jesus says to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Well, supposing him to be the gardener, she says to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him. Right? She imagines that he's in league with the they who took the body. I'm not mad, sir, but if you took the body, just let me know. We'll sort it out. I got to press charges. Just let me know. Wes Howard Brook, New Testament scholar, says the hope of resurrection emerges like a photograph, a photographic print in a dark room. Slowly but surely, the picture fills in. First, the empty tomb, then the grave clothes, then the angels. And at first, even seeing the risen Jesus wasn't enough. The gospel storyteller has us as the audience on the edge of our seats as this stranger with a word turns her world upside down. Mary. The scripture says she turns and her eyes are open. Rabbanai, my teacher. And so in the end, it is a very personal encounter with the risen Christ that opens her eyes. It is the mention of her name. And so it's worth our considering that if resurrection faith for the first witness on that first Easter morning came slowly amid darkness, weeping and confusion, how much more might we need to give one another latitude and grace as we grapple with this mystery, this wonderful mystery? And perhaps we might need to consider and understand resurrection as a deeply personal experience and understanding, not something to be enforced dogmatically on others. The Northern Irish writer and theologian Peter Rollins was once notoriously asked, do you believe in the resurrection? And of course, this question was meant as some sort of a trap or a litmus test. Right? Those are the worst. But there it was. Do you believe in the resurrection? And a bit like Jesus, he turns it around on them. 
and says, without equivocation or hesitation, I fully and completely admit that I deny the resurrection of Christ. This is something that anyone who knows me could tell you, and I'm not afraid to say it publicly, no matter what some people may think. I deny the resurrection of Christ every time I do not serve at the feet of the oppressed. Each day that I turn my back on the poor, I deny the resurrection of Christ when I close my ears to the cries of the downtrodden and the oppressed. Every time I do not serve my neighbor, every time I walk away from the poor, I deny the resurrection every time I participate in an unjust system. However, there are moments that I affirm the resurrection, as few and far between as they may be. I affirm the resurrection when I stand up for those who are forced to live on their knees. I affirm the resurrection when I speak for those who have had their tongues torn out. I affirm the resurrection when I cry for those who have no more tears left to shed. I affirm the resurrection when I look in your face and see the face Christ. You see, true faith in the resurrection doesn't concern itself with litmus tests because it's too busy trying to passionately live out the ways of Jesus. The earliest disciples didn't immediately write treatises of doctrine once they experienced the risen Christ. No, they became passionate disciples who opposed empire who cared for the poor and tried to turn the world upside down as they sought to follow Jesus with everything in them. And like Jesus, it cost many of them their lives. There's an old story of a bishop whose cathedral was about to be robbed. And the bandits demanded the treasures of the church. So the bishop went into the shelter and gathered up the poor and said, here, these are the treasures of the church. And the bandits left empty-handed that night. Luke 14 says, Jesus says, when you throw a banquet, do not invite your friends, invite the poor. Well, sometimes when you forget to do that, those who are hungry find their way in anyway. Those of us who were here the other night for our Monday Thursday meal, were sitting around eating, and some neighborhood kids saw the lights on and wondered what was going on and wandered in. And I love the response of our community to hop up and offer them a plate and food and a chair at the table. That is living the resurrection. We have dedicated folks who every month are committed to making sure that food and a meal is served to some of the hungriest in our community. Some folks for whom they might not otherwise eat that day if folks hadn't gone to the effort to open the table and share. That is living the resurrection. When we reduce the resurrection simply to a belief to check off, too often then we check the box and go on living our lives as if nothing is different, except that maybe we're slightly less worried about our mortality. But it ought to penetrate us deeper than that, right? It ought to be 
how we live our lives, how we use our skills, how we do our jobs. Shane Claiborne gives a few great examples. He says, the other day we met a robotics engineer who used to make robots just to impress people, which if you can do that, knock yourself out. But then he started thinking about his purpose in this world and God's dream for the world. Now, he's still a robotics engineer, but of a different kind. He now designs robots to dismantle landmines so that kids in countries like Afghanistan can play without worrying about getting blown up. Before the robots came, many of the landmines were being dismantled by little kids for almost no pay, often costing them a hand or a limb. Shane says he's a missional robotics engineer disarming the world for Jesus. He says another friend of ours is a massage therapist. She could be making $100 or more an hour giving massages to those who can afford that. But she says there are plenty of folks who do that. She lives near the poor and the homeless. She knows plenty of people whose feet are their transportation. And she's friends with women involved in sex trafficking who walk the red light district all night long. These people have tired, sore feet and no massage therapist to offer them services until now. Every week she opens her home to them, washes their feet, and with the most delicate and deliberate touch, gives them the best foot massage that money can't buy. He goes on, he says, we met a married couple who was deeply disturbed about the conflict between Israel and Palestine, but they weren't sure how to just stop complaining about the way things are and how to start living into what could be. So one day they just went there. They went there and it turns out they're business entrepreneurs. And as they built relationships, with the Palestinian people, they saw a need for jobs. And so they started a t-shirt company, which now employs nearly 100 Palestinians with dignity and hope. It may not be what their parents expected them to do with an Ivy League business degree, but they make it possible to imagine another world in the Holy Land. These are folks who are living resurrection. And Shane says, instead of asking young people, what are you going to be when you grow up? Perhaps we should ask them, who are you becoming? The question is not whether you will be a doctor or a lawyer or a farmer or a teacher, but what kind of doctor or lawyer or farmer or teacher? Because friends, resurrection should never be reduced to what happens after this life. It should be the fuel that, that guides our lives, inspires us to live our lives now in a radical way. So in that light, I'd like to close with a poem that often gets pulled out this time of year, as it should. This is Mad Farmer's Liberation Front, a Poetic Manifesto by Wendell Berry. Love the quick profit, the annual raise, 
vacation with pay. Want more of everything ready-made. Be afraid to know your neighbors and to die. And you will have a window in your head. Not even your future will be a mystery anymore. Your mind will be punched in a card and shut away in a little drawer. When they want you to buy something, they will call you. When they want you to die for profit, they will let you know. So friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. Denounce the government and embrace the flag. Hope to live in that free republic for which it stands. Give your approval to all you cannot understand. Praise ignorance for what man has not encountered. He has not destroyed. Ask the questions that have no answers. Invest in the millennium. Plant sequoias. Say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant, that you will not live to harvest. Say that the leaves are harvested when they have rotted into the mold. Call that prophet. Prophesy such returns. Put your faith in the two inches of humus that will build under the trees every thousand years. Listen to carry on. Put your ear close and hear the faint chattering of the songs that are to come. Expect the end of the world. Laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. Go with your love to the fields. Lie easy in the shade. Rest your head in her lap. Swear allegiance to what is nighest your thoughts. As soon as the generals and the politicos can predict the motions of your mind, lose it. Leave it, leave it as a sign to mark a false trail, the way you didn't go. Be like the fox who makes more tracks than necessary, some in the wrong direction, practice resurrection. So the good news of this Easter day, friends, is that death and injustice do not have the last word. And the invitation is to begin to live like we believe it. Amen. May it be so. invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. streaming on Facebook. You can also watch these messages on the Holland UCC YouTube channel. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.